Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Couple things before we get started with Dan Graziano today talking about the Bill O'Brien firing and the dismal 0-4 starts for the Giants and Jets. Before we get into that, wanted to remind everyone about another ESPN podcast. And if you somehow don't know who Mina Kimes is, I don't really understand how that's the case. But not only is she great, but she hosts her own football podcast. The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only football podcast co-hosted by a dog, her dog Lenny. Be sure to download and subscribe to The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, as well as, of course, my Bill Barnwell Show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Now, here's Dan Graziano talking about three 0-4 teams with me here on the Bill Barnwell Show. All right, now joining me, as promised here on the Bill Barnwell Show, Someone who I spoke to this week to try and talk about the Giants and Jets. We agreed. And then yesterday, he had the audacity to break a big story, which is the Texans fired Bill O'Brien with pretty much no notice. Uh, A really fascinating topic. So we're going to talk about the Giants and Jets in a bit, but we're going to start with the Bill O'Brien firing. Joining us to talk about that is our friend, Dan Graziano. It seems like you're better than Bill O'Brien today. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I haven't checked with anybody, but I don't. I, I think I still have my job. I hope so too. I mean, it's, <laughs> if not, I I gotta go. You do, do something else. But, but yeah. I I would appreciate right, that you good. would do the podcast before before you are. Yeah, that'd be that'd be the company. first thing I would think you do in that situation. <laughs> Farewell, podcast. Um, we. I mean, this is a really interesting situation. I wrote about it a little bit last night, but obviously with the game sort of going on, it kind of you know I, I was thinking about other stuff, kind of got lost in the shuffle. Wanted to give it some more thought overnight. And the more I think about this, I, I want to know what you think about this, Dan, as well. The more I think about this, the more I, I sort of are confused by it. And, and I'm someone who's been very skeptical of Bill O'Brien's moves. I've been uh, someone who has been you know, pretty critical, if I'm not going to lie, about Bill O'Brien's decisions. And not all of them have been bad. Some of them have been good. Uh, some of them you know, have worked out okay. The Jeffy and Clowney thing comes to mind as a situation where, you know, uh, didn't get mo- the most value, but also didn't give him the contract that he was hoping for. And it seems like most of the league agrees with him on that. But in the big picture, Dan, the thing I keep coming to is this. This is a guy who had absolute power over this organization for pretty much the past two years, if I'm not mistaken. And he made his decisions. His decisions are there. What do you think changed to get ownership to decide that Having having absolute faith in this guy for so long, after a four-game losing streak to start the season, they were done. Is it really just those four losses that changed their mind? Well, I think the fourth was the biggest, right? Because you could say about the Texans, they must have ticked off somebody at the schedule maker's yes. office to start with the Chiefs and Ravens and Steelers. I mean, like, I, I don't know this, but you could probably make a case yeah. that those are the three best teams in the AFC and maybe the league. So, uh, yeah, 
but then the, the winless Vikings come in and you look just as bad against them. And now you're 0-4. And 0-4, we don't know because of the expanded playoffs this year, but 0-4 is not likely to result in a playoff season. And if it does, it's not likely to result in the kind of seeding that gets you into the Super Bowl. So I think they felt like they were going to give him this year, and, and this year seems to already be over for them. And, and um, you know, there's stuff that goes on behind the scenes. But, you know, like he took the play calling back from the offensive coordinator before the Viking game. You know, it's kind of – not the greatest, you know, nicest thing to do, right? <laughs> like you get, sure. we get, you got it through the the three tough ones, and I'll, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's it's the accumulation of stuff. You're absolutely right. He had control. He made all those moves. He sold ownership on all those moves. It's okay to trade all these picks for Laramie Tunsil and make him the highest paid left tackle, even though he gets holding penalties all the time. It's okay to trade DeAndre Hopkins for a running back and a second round pick. You know, because we don't want to pay. Like, okay, okay, Bill, we're giving you your free reign. Now you start 0 4 after all that. And I just think it's a tough sell to say, uh, yeah, we'll give you the rest of the year. So I, I think Sunday was the last straw situation. And, um, you know, he, to his credit, I mean, O'Brien gave a press conference on his way out the door and kind of said as much, like, you know, hey, it just wasn't, wasn't happening. Sure. Now, I feel like I have to play devil's advocate in this situation because I look around the league. I see Adam Gase. Adam Gase has his job. I see Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia has his job. I see Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn has his job. I mean, there are some bad football teams around the league. And those, the people in those jobs have had way less success than Bill O'Brien has over the past five or six years. This is the guy who's won four division titles in five years. Now, granted, the AFC South is not the toughest division in football, but still, you know, you're raising a banner at the end of the year. You're doing something right. Yeah. You're not, maybe you know, you're not winning the Super Bowl. I can understand why they might have higher aspirations than that, and they should, but he's been a pretty good head coach over the last yes. five years. So now, to you, is that a reflection on other organizations not being as aggressive as they should be with their coaching staffs? Or is this more a reflection on, you know, uh, the Texans sort of recognizing, hey, we screwed up and we need to address this as quickly as possible? Well, I think obviously every situation is different. And, you know, Gase is in his second year as uh, How is that possible, though? Coach of the Jets, right? It and feels like it's been Patricia's 17 years. It's <laughs> because we're still waiting for the first sort of offensive explosion, right? Like that's the... <laughs> We're waiting to go um, into hyperdrive. Yeah, exactly. Just, just ludicrous speed, you know, just a little bit. And so, um, and Patricia's in his third year, right? And so O'Brien was in what, his seventh? True. Yeah, and, I and I think that, obviously, that's a big difference, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, obviously, everybody, he had more power in that organization than, than those guys do. And Dan Quinn, you know, similar length of time. Is he in his sixth year there in Atlanta? Um, thereabouts. Top of my head. So, and also he he's been to the Super Bowl. Sure. So, uh, I think every situation is different. And look, mm-hmm. let's take Atlanta, right? Because that's that's the comparable time frame. Mm-hmm. Dan Quinn is very well liked, you know, as a as a guy, right? Like the owner likes him, the people in the organization like him. He's a as a as a leader, he seems to be the kind of guy that makes people feel, you know, good about themselves, builds people up. From what I understand. Sure. Now, from what I understand about Bill O'Brien, and I want to be careful here because I've never found he's, he's always been good to me when I've dealt with him and I don't have any reason to dislike him. But when, you know, people 
behind the scenes will tell you that as a leader, he can be tough on people, sure. right? Like he, he's a hard driving leader. And sometimes there are situations where we've seen where that wears people down to a mm-hmm. point where the change gets made. Mm-hmm. I think um, Jim Harbaugh in San Francisco is probably a good example, right? Like he yeah. was obviously having success, but it got to a point where it's just you're clashing too much there. So I think there might've been a little bit of that, maybe not obviously a one-for-one comparison with the Harbaugh situation, but I think that's just sort of a way for people to look at it. So it's not just binary of, you know, Hey, you know, this is, this guy's winning, this guy's losing, you know, he's got to go. There are other factors at work. And I think um, for that reason, every situation is different. And those other two guys you mentioned, I mean, I think are, Obviously, their seats are hot, but they haven't been there as long as the, you know Quinn and uh, and uh, O'Brien were at, are in their uh, respective situations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that makes total sense. I, I just I think about Tom Coughlin comes to mind for me as an example where it's a similar sort of guy, similar sort of you know uh, atti- attitude towards his players. You know, uh, could be hard to deal with at times, could be persnickety. I think it's fair to say. And I wrote oh, a column. A good word. I wrote a column about this for Grantland. Uh, right before the second Super Bowl win because there were reports that the Giants were quitting on Tom Coughlin. And I went through every single year of Tom Coughlin's reign, some of which were more successful than others, to be fair. And sure. almost every year there was a report in the New York media that the team had quit on Dan Coughlin or, Dan, or, or Tom Coughlin or Tom Coughlin had lost the locker room. Um, and most of those years, the Giants were pretty good. They came back and they made the playoffs. One year, a couple of years, they even won the Super Bowl. Um, maybe something yeah. with the Patriots, with Bill Belichick, a guy who can not always be um, the nicest guy in public or private. But uh, I remember 2003, week one, the Patriots cut lawyer Malloy, I believe. They lose 31 nothing to the Bills. Same thing. He's lost the locker room. Uh, you know, doesn't know, you know, he's, he's not the, doesn't work well with his players. And then they go on to win 14 of their next 15 games and win the Super Bowl. And mm-hmm. Bill Belichick's done okay for him since then. So, you know, I, I sort of wonder, you know, I, I, do you think, even given the 0-4 start, even given the fact that he had worn on people in that building, do you think this was too soon? Or do you think it was probably the right timing uh, if they were going to make a move? If they felt like they were 100% sure they were going to make a move after the season. Yeah, I think if they're 100% sure they're going to make a move after the season, then I don't know why you drag it out. I think, you know, look, they elevate Romeo Cornell, 73-year-old Romeo Cornell, who was not one of the coordinators, which is really bizarre to me because, like, it feels like Romeo Cornell was on the staff just for this purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like, you know, in case we fire O'Brien, we need somebody to, to be the head coach and get this thing in the garage. And uh, meanwhile, their young coordinators, who they really like, by the way, Tim Kelly on offense, Anthony Weaver on defense, you know, will get a chance to do their thing mm-hmm. under the guidance of someone who's been a head coach. And, and it, you know, it could work to an extent where those guys get to show what they can do, um, you know, without someone looming over them that's going to tell them, you know, veto play calls and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I think you can make the case that Houston now sets up for its final 12 games with an ability to evaluate things organizationally and figure out who they want to bring in if they don't already know and what kind of direction they want it to go. Tom Coughlin won the Super Bowl in his fourth year with the Giants, right? And he had had success with the Jaguars. Like he had had the Jaguars in the AFC championship game Mm -hmm. at least once uh, as an expansion team. So, you know, this is a guy, Coughlin, I remember, you know, Coughlin, I've been covering them his second Super Bowl year and, they were seven and seven on Christmas Eve they were. and they were getting beat up by the jets 
and, and before Victor Cruz went 99 yards for a touchdown, then they didn't lose again. Mm-hmm. So um, Coughlin was, you know, he's the, he was the kind of coach that I took the temperature of his team very well and figured out what they needed. Like that mm-hmm. particular week, they had lost to Washington and, and all the players went in there expecting to get yelled at. And Coughlin was very calm and uplifting in the meeting, talking about the chances they still had and all that stuff. And, and it kind of shocked the players because they were expecting to be in trouble. And he instead was the, I'm on your side. And I remember asking him about that during the playoff run. And I said, why did you decide to do that that week? And he said, cause I know my team. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's the best way they would have responded. So Look, I think Bill O'Brien can coach. I, I don't know the ins and outs of you know how he deals with his team. I, I think he's a good coach. I don't think he was a good GM. Mm-hmm. Coughlin in New York was in a situation. They, they have a real separation of church and state. There's always a different GM and coach have separate responsibilities. So mm-hmm. maybe that defrays some of the blame. And that organization used to be the kind that really valued continuity and long-term stability and leadership roles. So uh, that set him up, obviously, for success. And when you win the Super Bowl a couple times, that helps, too. I remember when I used to cover baseball, Joe Torrey once said to me of George Steinbrenner, I'm not dumb enough to think he likes me because I'm a good guy. <laughs> Joe had won the World Series four times by that point. So that's uh, that's a big part of it as well. Yeah, of course. Um, that's absolutely a fair point. You know, I think you can get away with that if you're winning. You can get away with that if, if you're, yep. you're playing good football. And maybe the moment that you stop playing good football and get in that 0-4 losing streak, people start sitting here and saying, hey, I don't know if this is such a great idea. A couple more questions about the Texan situation, and then we'll move on. Um, in terms of the process of what happens next for the Texans, they have Jack Easterby mm-hmm. there, former Patriots chaplain, was with Romeo Cornell in Kansas City, uh, was brought by O'Brien to Houston in 2019. Seems like he is the highest ranking football person left in the organization. I mean, when you look at, at, the, at, so. the, at this situation, do you think this is a situation where the Texans sort of keep a lot of what they have in place? Like you said, the coordinators, um, you know, the, the football operations staff who are left and then in the off season, maybe go out and try to hire perhaps some former Patriots like Josh McDaniels and Nick Casario. Yeah. Or do you think this is a situation where maybe Cal McNair goes out and says, Hey, you know, someone like a Dabo Sweeney, here's your chance to have full control after the O'Brien thing. Because I think that's the question of, you know, do the Texans want to go for a more traditional structured approach? Or do they sit here and say, hey, we're okay with having, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the, the one guy controls everything situation. We just had the wrong guy. I think the former scenario is more likely. Mm-hmm. I think Easterby has a lot of power there, and I believe he'll stick around and have some say in who comes in as coach, and if they hire a GM, then the GM. So that's my sense of it now. You know, could it be that, that everyone hates each other by the end of the year and everybody gets fired and they start over? That's mm-hmm. possible. The owner certainly reserves that right. But it seems like Easterby has the owner's ear and, and, um, and will have a say in what the direction of the organization is going forward. And because of his New England connections, yes, obviously, People will make the McDaniels connection. People will be making the McDaniels connection for head coach openings for decades and decades, uh, <laughs> unless and until he actually takes one of these jobs. Um, or so, you know, we'll see. I, I you know, the other thing though, McDaniels, I, McDaniels, a guy you got to kind of sell the ownership at this point, right? Because mm-hmm. there's baggage there. That there's reason to to wonder: Does he really want it? Will he back out like he did with the Colts? And and then look, let's say by the end of this year. Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn have been fired in Detroit, right? Mm -hmm. Now you have another 
example of the former Patriots thing not working outside of New England. So if I'm the owner of the Texans and you're telling me you want to hire Josh McDaniels, I got a lot of questions you got to answer before I sign off on that mm-hmm. because there's some there's some evidence there that it might not be the slam dunk that uh, that it once would have been considered. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think that you know it, it, it's not. There's no perfect strategy, right? There's no guaranteed success at a head coach. There's no, you know, unless you can hire Andy Reid. If you can hire Andy Reid, go right. for it. Make Which that they can't. Again. Which they cannot. Bill Belichick's He's not going to be available. available. He's not going to be available. Yeah. Bill Belichick's not available. Um, but those are, those are two guys, actually, uh, who are people who do have control, who do have personal control, who do have, uh, of course, the head coaching jobs in their respective places. Now, they might not wield that control the same way Bill O'Brien did necessarily. They're not obviously making those dramatic trades every single offseason. But in terms of that model, in terms of the I'm the head coach, I'm the GM, everything with this organization begins and ends with me in terms of that model. Do you think other teams are going to be put off if, if you know, someone like a Dabo Sweeney or a Lincoln Riley comes in and says, Hey, I'm only going to take your head coaching job. If I can do that. Do you think that, 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 that teams are going to be hesitant to do that now after the O'Brien situation? Or do you think it's just going to be a thing where if you had the right coach, you're going to bend over backwards to get him. And if that means giving him personnel control, you think owners are going to do it. I think it's the latter. I think it'll be case by case, but I think, you know, there will be cases where teams slash owners will accede to that because they feel like they believe in the, in the man and his, uh, in his vision for the organization. And that mm-hmm. sometimes you get it right. And sometimes you get it wrong. I mean, Bill Belichick and Andy Reid have amassed that level of control over time as a result of tremendous success. You know, you're talking about the probably two, two best coaches of their generation. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's that's rare. And I think to do it with someone who hasn't proven it yet is risky. I mean, you, you better be right or else we're in a situation like we're in with Houston right now where the guy is gone. The vision and plan for the organization has to be totally overhauled. You're, you're leveraged on big contracts and you have no draft picks that they're in a bad spot. Well, that's my last question for you, Dan. That's what I want to ask you about now, because, of course, they're going to ha- have to hire a coach, have to hire a GM, presumably in the next eight months. This is 18, 0-4. They do not have their first-round pick or their second-round pick that's going to the Miami Dolphins. They have their full complement of picks after the 2021 draft, but missing first and second round this year, I think only two first-round selections in the last five years. So a team that has really been you know, stripped when it's come to draft picks. And we've seen what happened with the Jets and Giants, as we'll get to in a minute, you know, where those, when you mess in those picks or don't even have those picks, uh, that can be a mess. They spent a lot of money this offseason. They have $247 million committed to players this year, the most of any team in football. I think there are fair questions about whether ownership is going to want to spend a ton of money in the next year or two. And, oh, by the way, uh, since Cal McNair has taken over as owner from his father, Bob, he has fired Brian Gain after about a year, where Brian Gain, Brian Gain's one team with the Texans uh, made it to the playoffs. And after giving Bill O'Brien all that control, Bill O'Brien made it to the playoffs one year and then was fired four games into his second season. So no guarantees that you're going to get a ton of time with that roster. So I said all that. Those all seem like negatives to me. The positive is that you have Deshaun Watson, who's one of the best quarterbacks in Watson. football. And that makes yeah. up for a lot of what I said as the negative. So Dan, to you, looking at this position, if you were an in-demand coach, an in-demand general manager, uh, a promising college coach, a very successful coordinator, 
your Eric B. Enemies, your Lincoln Rileys, your Dabo Sweeney's. How appealing is this job to you? Is it one of the more appealing jobs in football that are likely to come open? Or is it just a, a, a job that if you want to take a job, you have to start somewhere and this might be your opportunity to get a head coaching job, but it's not going to be all that appealing. Yeah. So start from the premise that, you know, super appealing jobs don't often come open because, you know, obviously it wouldn't be open if it was a great situation. Um, you know, if Andy Reid retired at the end of this year, you know, people would line up to go coach Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs, but I don't think it's going to happen. So, uh, Mike Shanahan once told me when, when, uh, an opening, when he's considering an opening for head coach, the two questions are who's the owner and who's the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Cal McNair inherits the team from his father. He seems to be pretty well regarded. You mentioned that, you know, you don't know what he's going to be like in terms of patience. There's not enough track record there, et cetera. So you, there's some, there's some reason to wonder, but the quarterback, my goodness, I mean, I, I so compare it. We were talking about, let's say Atlanta comes open. Let's say Detroit comes open. Let's say the jets come open whatever else. I mean, Atlanta and Detroit have great quarterbacks, but they're closer to the end of their careers in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And Watson is not. And the Jets have Sam Darnold that you really don't know about yet. So uh, on quarterback alone, you would go with Houston at the top of a list like that, because you look at Deshaun Watson with a winning pedigree in college, has done some winning in the NFL and has remarkable ability uh, hey, I could work with that. So I, I think there'll be interest in that job. And obviously there's going to be challenges with the draft capital eroded. And, and again, you know, big left tackle contract, big quarterback. I mean, salary cap's going to be tough to manage. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I think there are going to be some, some offensive-minded head coaches that look and go, yeah, I would love to take a shot at coaching Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of good jobs don't come available. But I think it's fair to say a lot of, or, or there's not many good quarterbacks that come available. And when you do have one, sure, this is an opportunity to get one. You may not have the opportunity in your career to coach a quarterback as good as Deshaun Watson now. Dabo Sweeney has happened to coach uh, two of them, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. He seems to be pretty lucky when it comes to that sort of stuff. But I, I just, you know, I, I'll, I'll be very intrigued. I'll be very intrigued to see what happens here. I mean, this is an organization that, like you said, you know, they have to pretty much rewrite their plan. And mm-hmm. I, you know, the guy I compared uh, Bill O'Brien to before this year was Chip Kelly. And Chip Kelly's firing came quicker than I think anybody expected uh, after that offseason where he was in control of the Eagles. I think people would have said, okay, it might not work, but he'll get a couple of years. He got a year. Bill O'Brien got four games after, after this best. So um, I think he's going to coach again. I think it might be quicker than maybe people expect. I don't think he'll be a GM again. I certainly think he'll be a coach and GM again, but um, a, a, a fascinating end to, I think one of the off season's biggest stories when it came to how Bill O'Brien was, uh, you know, changing the Texans to mold what he thought a successful NFL team was. No doubt. But I, I'm with you. I think the guy can coach and I think he'll, he'll get another head coaching job and he'll probably be the kind of guy that, you know, will want the right situation. He's made some money and, and done some things. So yeah, I'll be interested to see where he lands, but um, yeah, I agree with you that I don't think he's going to be at the top of a lot of GM lists. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Speaking of people or who are not going to be on the top of many GM lists, we got to talk about the Giants oh boy. and the Jets. Here Let's talk go. about Dave Gettleman, a guy who we've talked about for years now. And both these teams are owned for. We're going to talk about them. We'll start with the Giants, move on to the Jets after that. And then we're going to have to pick uh, the unfortunate question as to which team is in better shape uh, after their own start for the year. So I know it's, it's a tough one. People have asked me. And literally when I got asked on the radio, I thought, 
number one, I don't know the answer. And number two, I wonder what Dan thinks. Because Dan, I feel like, has very <laughs> particular insight into these two teams. So let's start with the Giants, a team that, of course, you covered for years for us at ESPN, a team that um, obviously overhauled things this offseason by firing Pat Shermer, hiring Joe Judge. Joe Judge seems to be a coach who was liked by his players. Joe Judge seems to be a hardworking yeah. guy. Um, the Giants are trying their best. They are playing hard football. <laughs> they are also 0-4. And, and they are 0-4. Yeah. Not any particularly pretty 0-4. They have lost their last two games without scoring a touchdown. I believe uh, the first time they have not scored a touchdown in consecutive games since 1998. Uh, not a good start for a team that has spent three top six picks over the last three years on offensive players. Now, one of them, of course, is hurt in Saquon Barkley. But, Dan, let me start with this question for you when it comes to the Giants. In terms of where they are after four games, now, obviously, they're not about to fire Joe Judge, I don't think. But in, in terms of their start, against a tough schedule, much like the Texans, maybe not as tough, but certainly a tough schedule for the Giants, um, does it shake your feelings in, in the roster that's been constructed or is it just, you know, a small sample, tough start, had a couple guys get hurt. You know, uh, I, I don't feel any differently now than I did before the season started. I don't feel any differently because I didn't think they had a good roster and then they lost their best player in the second game. So look, they're not averaging 12 points again. Like I, this is that the offense has been crazy this year, but it left them and, frankly, the Jets behind. Uh, so it, it's, it's tough. Tough early schedule, yes. Saquon Barkley not being there is massive. The entire offense is constructed to run through Saquon Barkley because why wouldn't you? He's awesome. But we're still seeing turnover issues with the quarterback. And, and as much as there is to like about Daniel Jones, and there is plenty, the turnover problem is a big one you do not want you know Jameis Winston to be your best case scenario it's it's just not you know sustainable to turn the ball over as much as he has and he knows it's a problem and the new coaching staff knows it's a problem and they're working on it but you know, losing and failing to score touchdowns definitely doesn't help because you know it's hard to fix problems when morale is low so they could use a win they could use a 30 point game <laughs> they could use a 20 point game quite frankly but um yeah I don't think it's I don't think I did not expect this to be a good team. I don't know for a fact that Joe Judge expected it to be a good team. I think he looks at it as a long-term project, right? And and so what does he want the team to be? What kind of team does he want it to be? What does he want them to play like? And establish that your first year, first couple of years. I know uh, I was talking, I, I had the 49ers Giants game a couple of weeks ago, which was really great. I'm sure you watched it. Um, I was talking to Trent Williams, the Niners left tackle before that game. You know, he'd been in Washington for years. And he was saying, on tape, the Giants' defense looks a lot different to him. And it, it was, he was being complimentary. Yeah, he said they're flying around. This, like, they, they look like they're playing hard. They look like they're doing some things he wasn't used to seeing in past years from the Giants. So mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's showing up when opponents look at it that, they, you know, they're, they're playing hard. But I do think they're obviously short in key areas on the roster. And, and, they're, and there's just no replacing Saquon Barkley. Like, you just can't do it. So – they were hit really hard with a tough schedule and that brutal uh, personnel loss early, and I don't know how they recover from it. My worry for them is can you use this year to get a real evaluation of where things stand with Daniel Jones, and if not, he goes into year three next year. You know, where, where are you with him at that point, and how much time 
does it take to to before you know yes or no whether you're uh, whether you're in on him? Because Joe Judge wasn't there when he got drafted, and certainly wasn't consulted on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's you know a question we're going to ask for both these quarterbacks because um, obviously Sam Darnold's future is in question as well, and he's a year further into his career. Um, maybe the difference you could say between Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold is you look at what's around Sam Darnold and the pickings are pretty slim. And that was before guys got hurt uh, when it comes to the Jets. And the Giants have injuries as well. Of course, Stone Shepard is hurt. Uh, Saquon Barkley is out for the year. But, I mean, there are supposed to be pieces around Daniel Jones. He has Evan Ingram. He has Darius Slayton. He has Golden Tate. Um, you know, they signed Devontae Freeman. They have invested heavily in their offensive line. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I was skeptical of Daniel Jones before he was drafted. I think we saw some positive things last year, some negative things. He looked like a rookie quarterback. And I don't know if you're qualified at all to um, say that. I think after Josh Allen's first four games, I don't know anything about quarterbacks anymore. Um, but, you know, I, it feels like the same problems Daniel Jones was having a year ago when it came to holding on to the ball too long, making poor decisions with the football are the same problems he's having this year. And there are quarterbacks in year two who make enormous leaps. Lamar Jackson comes to mind. Carson Wentz comes to mind. It looks like Daniel Jones is heading in the opposite direction. And that has to be pretty disconcerting. Right. Especially if uh, there's an issue with confidence, right? If he's starting to doubt himself. And so, you know, I, I talked to Joe Judge a couple of weeks ago and, and we were talking about Daniel Jones and he, he likes that he's, he's willing to take chances down the field. He doesn't want to take that away from Daniel Jones because he thinks it's the kind of thing that can make him great. But obviously, you have to do it in a way that doesn't risk the ball, and, and that's a fine line that they're trying to walk with him, and, and it's not successful at this point. Well, a lot is on the young man's shoulders. He, he is there, He's leading the team in rushing yards. I mean, <laughs> through four games, right? So like, there's, there's a lot that he's being asked to do. And uh, Steelers, Bears, 49ers, Rams, it's tough. So I think it's – he has to start getting right. I think there's a sense – you know, I live in in Connecticut in in a New York suburb, so, you know, you hear a lot of talk. There's a sense among the Giants fan base that Mm -hmm. this week against the Cowboys, who only use nine guys on defense, uh, could be a get-right game for Daniel Jones and the Giants offense. And that's possible – certainly, but it could also be a get-right game for the Dallas defense mm-hmm. because of the way the Giants are playing on offense. So, uh, whichever one it is, if it's the latter, then I think you have a real problem because you're starting to slide into something resembling despair, and that's no way for a, for a second-year quarterback to, to be when you're trying to build on it. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you, you don't want to judge a quarterback after – it's it's been a little over 16 starts now for Daniel Jones, and it's premature to say. Um, you certainly want to wait until the end of the season. I don't think there's any any benefit, any logic to benching Daniel Jones for any period of time. But the schedule gets easier over the next 12 games, and I, I think you not only want to see growth back to the player he was. Uh, you know, last year, I think you want to see him play better than the player he was last season. You want to see some promising signs of growth heading into year three. And I'm going to ask you this question about Sam Darnold later on as well, but I'll ask you this question now when it comes to Daniel Jones. If the Giants have the first overall pick, 
and Trevor Lawrence is available and Trevor Lawrence doesn't mm. get hurt. And he looks to be the guy that Trevor Lawrence was in years past. And we assume Dave Gettleman, we'll talk about him in a second, is not making the draft pick. If Daniel Jones does not get significantly better, if he plays, you know, maybe the way he, way he played as a rookie over the rest of the season, do you think the Giants would consider drafting Trevor Lawrence? And, or do you think they would just out of hand say, no, Daniel Jones is still our guy and trade the pick away for a bunch of draft picks or pick someone else or, or make some move that mm-hmm. is not drafting Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, it's going to depend on on what the organizational structure is at this at that point, and 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 that's a really interesting part of the story to follow. So let's say if the Giants are picking number one, I think it's safe for us to assume that Dave Gettleman won't be the guy making the pick, right? Because mm-hmm. they'll just finished with the worst record, and uh, he will probably be fired. So uh, if that's the case, who they bring in? Now the Giants historically, as we mentioned earlier have kept the GM role and the head coach role very separate and they've assigned them each specific responsibilities and there's no overlap. They're very traditional that way. However, not every team is doing it that way. And some teams are having great success sort of melding those things together, right? San Francisco, Buffalo, places where the, the maybe the coach went first and brought the GM and they're, you know, they, they're guys that are uh, working together very, very well. Is it possible that the Giants believe enough in Joe Judge that uh, they would create a structure like that? And if that's the case, you have an entire different set of decision makers that can say, look, nothing wrong with Daniel Jones, but Trevor Lawrence is this generational prospect. We can't pass it up. We're going to do a, a 2019 Arizona Cardinals thing where we, like, we're just going to change course at a time when people never, ever do because we have the opportunity to upgrade uh, over what we have at the most important position. That's a possible outcome. And uh, it's really going to depend on how they decide to go forward in terms of who the, who's leading the team, who's making the decisions, and, and, and how that is structured. So there's a, if we're playing this out to the point where the Giants have finished the 2020 season with the worst record in the league and have the number one pick, then there, uh, the answers to a lot of these questions are going to depend on what Giants ownership wants to do about how the organization operates going forward. And I would think anything's on the table because they cannot keep firing and hiring general managers and coaches every two, mm-hmm. three years. That is not any kind of recipe for success. And they know that. Mm-hmm. That's not their style. I mean, no. they have been. And it, it's, it's tearing them up. I know this. Like, I, I, John Mara hates that his team is in this cycle. Like, he just, it's just not what he wants to be or what he's accustomed to being so they're they're desperate to get it right but at the same time they were a mess three years ago when dave gettleman took over there was very little in the way of assets on the roster they had eli manning a quarterback in the tail tail end of his career Um, they were coming off of a disastrous season uh, the end of the jerry reese era i believe the end of the uh ben mcadoo era as well Dave Gettleman did not inherit a good situation. But Dan, I have to ask you, even throwing the 0-4 part aside, if I had told you, you know, uh, the moment, the day Dave Gettleman took over, we probably had a conversation about this on this very show and Gettleman took over, if I'm not mistaken. If I told you the Giants were 0-4 in 2020, this is what their roster was. These were the decisions he had made. Yeah. Do you think he's done enough at this point to, to keep his job if the Giants continue to struggle and have a, a top five pick in the 2021 draft. 
No, I would say not. I mean, look, and, it, and you can get down to specifics here, right? I mean, like if if he hired Pat Shermer and they're now saying that that was a mistake, then obviously that's a, a point against him. You look at the first round of the 2019 draft, three first-round picks, one of which was the cornerback uh, Baker that turned out to be a huge disaster on and off the field and is no longer there. Uh, another is Jones. And so if you're getting to the point next year where you're thinking about, are we sure about Daniel Jones, then you got to count that pick as a miss, right? If you're already thinking about moving on. Saquon Barkley at number two, you and I have talked about this extensively yes. before it happened, right after it happened in the, in the intervening time. Incredible player. And it's very easy for a traditional football person to sit there and say, yeah, you had to take that generational player, blah, blah, blah. He is now a player that will complete his third season having missed 14 games due to injury, right? There's 17 games due to injury over, over two years. And they have a fifth year option decision on him. And it's going to be expensive because he's a running back, you know, so you have to start stacking these, these big time, high leverage decisions, high early first round picks and saying, are they, is it really working out? Is this guy making the right moves? And two, three years may not be a sufficient amount of time to judge that, but, you know, in today's NFL, it kind of has to be. And if it's if it's going as badly as it is, then I I, I don't think, um, you know, this is a situation where where the GM probably gets to save his job. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think the decisions that have happened happened over the course of the last few weeks or the last few months make a difference here in terms of, you know, obviously. Dave Gettleman could not have anticipated that Saquon Barkley was Terry's ACL. You couldn't anticipate that Nate Solder would opt out because of the coronavirus. Um, you know, some of his biggest players, his biggest decisions are not on the football field. Do you think that's a, a credible defense for Gettleman? Sure. But I mean, at, at some point, you know, the, the, the excuses kind of run out, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, what do you want to be going forward? If you're, if you're sitting there picking top five again, you know, do you feel like, oh, we we're, we're really are this close? We really still believe in Gettleman's vision for the organization. They may say yes, but I think it's more likely that they would say no and, um, and, and probably move on again because they've changed coaches. The coach and GM are not paired up. They're not, you know, they, they're not, they didn't hire them as a set like a lot of teams do. So I think it's, I think it's going to be a tough situation. I honestly think, Bill, honestly, that the Barkley injury – probably made it impossible for Dave Gettleman to come back next year as the Giants GM. I, I don't know how he survives that. Mm-hmm. And it oh. may not be, as, I'm sorry, he's not his fault. The guy got hurt. But mm-hmm. when you, when you spend the number two pick on that player and in three years, he's missed 17 games. I think it's very hard for a GM to survive a thing like that, considering the record, considering what else has gone on with the draft. Yeah, I think absolutely. That's fair. Now, speaking of people where I don't know how they survive, we have to talk about Adam Gase and the New York Jets. Oh, and four. I, I would say a laughing stock nationally in the way that the Giants and the Texans even are not. You know, I think there was um, certainly laughing when the Texans traded DeAndre Hopkins, but I mean, a team that, you know, that now lost recently to the, uh, the third string quarterback led Denver Broncos a 29-point loss to the Colts, a 18-point loss to the Niners, who were down to their JV squad for the second half, 27-17 to the Bills, a game that was really not that close when you look a little bit closer at what happened in that game. Is there anything, anything at all, that a Jets fan can sit here after four games 
and hang their hat on and say, everything is a disaster, but at least we have blank. I think uh, Becton, the tackle they drafted, looks really good. Although they, you know, they play, put him in a game when he was hurt, so I don't know what to think that's, there. That's what I, that's but I, yeah, right, exactly. So hey, our first round pick looks awesome. Maybe let's not try and get him killed. So uh, yeah, I think it's it's tough. I mean, you're bringing me down here. We're talking about three winless teams. I mean, is there any <laughs> chance we could throw some like Chiefs conversation in here before we're done? Because I'm kind of depressed about the state of New York football and. Yeah, I was looking. There are 29 teams that are averaging 20 or more points a game, and Washington's at 19.8. The Jets are at 16.3, and the Giants are at 11.8. It's like they forgot the season started and didn't get the memo about all these points that were going to get scored. Look, Adam Gase made the playoffs his first year with the Dolphins. Remember, he was the hot guy. Like, he oh, was yeah. the coach. Everybody, Peyton Manning was stumping for him. We got to get this guy. And the Dolphins went out and jumped the market and got him before anybody else could even interview him. And, and it was hailed as this great hit. And he made the playoffs his first year. Mm-hmm. And then ever since then, losing season, losing season, losing season, Jets hired him right away after the Dolphins fired him because they felt like uh, they really wanted him three years earlier. And the Dolphins got him and they still liked him. So, he was he's supposed to be an offensive guy, right? Like a like a he knows how to score points. They don't score points. And his offenses in Miami were not good. And his offenses in New York have not been good. And then and then, Bill, you know this. I'm not telling you anything. But when you look at what has happened with players that have left Adam Gase and gone mm-hmm. other places, I mean, you're talking about Ryan. Tannehill becoming a franchise quarterback mm. with the Tennessee Titans. Talking about Kenyon Drake. I know he's off to a tough start, but what a year he had in Arizona mm-hmm. after uh, he got out of Miami. Devontae Parker has thrived as a wide receiver in Miami mm-hmm. since Gase left. Robbie Anderson played for him last year and is now the number one receiver in Carolina mm-hmm. where Teddy Bridgewater is the quarterback and, and, and they have a first-round pick in D.J. Moore. I mean, like, if, if these guys are obviously good players, and he wasn't able to score points with them. Hmm. So I, I don't, I mean, again, I, you know, it, it's tough. You sit here and talk about people losing their job. Like, I, I just think it's, it's tough to argue for Gase at this point, given what we're looking at now five years, um, it'll be five years if he makes it through this year, mm-hmm. of track record. I mean, it's just, it's tough to see what there is to recommend him as a sort of offensive mastermind. Can I tell you what the, fi- the part I find really disconcerting is about all of this when it comes to Adam Gase? There, there is this sure. weird thing. There's this weird thing where, like, he's honest yeah. about the past, but then is not honest about the future. Like, you know, before the season, he was like, yeah, you know, our office was a mess last year. I don't, wa- don't want to watch that tape. I want to burn that tape. You know, I want to – this year we're going to be fine. The offense is terrible week one. Week two, it's okay. You know, we screwed up. We're going to get things right for week two. Week two is terrible. Okay, we're going to put it in hyperdrive week three. They score seven points in week three. Uh, okay, well, we're going to speed it up. Uh, I know what we're doing now. They, they're a mess against the Broncos. I, I mean, I just, you know, like, it, it feels like someone who is just very confident he has the answer, but doesn't know what the answer is, doesn't know how to find the answer, doesn't know who to ask for the answer, and yet is still confident that they're going to stumble upon the answer. And for Adam Gase unless he has Peyton Manning, you know, a, a prime or, or, or yeah. close to prime Peyton Manning coming through the tunnel uh, at, you know, at, for the Jets, it's not, doesn't feel like it's going to happen. And it doesn't feel like he has the answer that he is purporting to have. 
Right. I, I think you've put it very well. I mean, he's a guy that's confident he has the answer in spite of a lack of evidence to support that confidence. And I don't know. I mean, that's no way to be. Like, if you're sure you know what you're doing and you don't know what you're doing, that that's you can't work with that. Like, like, I mean, that's not, you know, you, you shouldn't burn last year's tape. You should immerse yourself in last year's tape and figure out what went wrong and, and how to fix it. But I've had this theory for a long time about coaches that get fired and then hired immediately, right? Remember, I think Eric Mangini, uh, Chip Kelly, you know, they, you don't have time to sit and think about what went wrong. And, and I think Adam Gase would have benefited from that had he had to wait more than a week between the Miami job and the New York Jets job. Because when you get hired right away like that, that's almost like um, validation, right? Hey, the, the, the team that fired me is wrong, not me, right? I, the other teams still like me. So I think that's to a coach's detriment. I, 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 and I exempt Andy Reid, who had a 12-year track record of success in Philadelphia, and Kansas City hired him. That's not the same kind of situation. I'm talking about coaches that are fired because they failed and then get immediately hired uh, by another team. I just think that doesn't do you any good because you don't have any time for self-reflection and improvement. And I think Adam Gase found himself in that situation. I mean, if you remember, and maybe this is speculation, but I'm pretty sure this is true. Jets were about to hire Matt Rule as their head coach. I think we even had some stories that were being published about Matt Rule being the next Jets head coach and reportedly, Uh, According to Matt Rule, he wanted control over his offensive coordinator. Jets are not willing to offer that, and things broke down from there. And I don't know if Matt Rule is going to be a great head coach. Maybe he won't be. Um, You know, obviously, it's still very early into his tenure. Uh, But it sort of felt like Adam Gase was plan B for the Jets. And sometimes plan B works. You know, sometimes, you know, plan A is not always a great plan. But I, you know, it, it it was hard to see why the Jets were so aggressive about going out and hiring Adam Gase after his tenure with the Dolphins. And outside of maybe the Cowboys game last year, I I don't see any evidence that he's made this team better. And crucially, I don't see much evidence he's made Sam Darnold better. Great. And that's what it comes down to, right? Like, I mean, that's where the real investment is. Because if they were wrong about Adam Gase, they can replace him with someone better. If they're wrong about Sam Darnold, they're set back for the better part of a decade, right? Because, like, you had the opportunity to draft Josh Allen. You had the opportunity to draft Lamar Jackson. You had the opportunity to draft any number of good players that aren't quarterbacks and then maybe try and get a quarterback the next year. So if Darnold isn't good enough to justify the third pick in the draft, you have blown it in a way that it's almost impossible for teams to recover from, certainly uh, with any kind of speed. So. That's the key. And if you get to the end of this year or the middle of this year uh, and you say, this is the wrong guy for Darnold, then you got to make the tough call because, I mean, it's got to be about Darnold. I mean, Baker Mayfield's rookie year, remember Hugh Jackson was fighting with both of his coordinators at the same time. And 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 then I was in that game. I was at that game in Pittsburgh, uh, Hugh and, and, uh, and uh, Haley got fired the next day. Right. And I was talking to somebody with the Browns front office and going back and forth about this and this and this. Guys, at one point he says, look, here's the deal. If it's not good for the quarterback, we're going to get rid of it. And that's it. (laughs) That was what the plan was. And if that's not how you're thinking when you make that kind of investment in a quarterback, then you probably shouldn't have. So, yeah, I think the key is you have to assess 
where you are with Darnold and is this the right person for his future? Well, that brings me to this week because Sam Darnold had a magnificent run for a touchdown in the first quarter and then injured his shoulder. Was out for a couple yeah. plays and Adam Gase uh, sent it back in. The Jets still lost the game. There was the weird thing with the timeouts at the end of the game where uh, it seemed like Vic Fangio wanted to get burned up and killed. That's another story for another day. Sam Darnold, uh, according to Adam Gase, may not play this weekend. I, I have to ask you, in, in terms of your thoughts about covering the NFL, just going around the league, is there anybody who has been just as inconsistent in being concerned about his player safety as Adam Gase? When we saw Becton come into the game uh, this yeah. week, Last year, C.J. Mosley came in when he wasn't 100% after his groin injury and then missed the rest of the season. I mean, you know, it'd be one thing if you're playing for a championship and you have, you know, a star player who you bring in for 10 snaps even though he's not 100%. In the middle of lost seasons, Adam Gase is risking his player safety, including risking Sam Darnold's safety for a, a win over the Cardinals, a win over the Broncos. Like, I, I don't understand what Adam Gase is thinking in these situations. Is there any logic you can come across that makes sense of how he's approaching uh, Darnold's health for this upcoming week? Well, I mean, other than this, these decisions are hard. No, I mean, look, I, I think it's, it's a, it's probably a heavy accusation to say, Oh, he's trying to win games at the expense of his player's health. I, I think that's a tough thing to say about someone. Um, you know, so I, I, there's probably more to it than that. I think it's easy for us to sit here and say, oh, how could you put him back in the game? But, you know, I've never stood on the sideline and, and coached a game. And so uh, it's hard to, um, to put yourself in that position. But look, mm -hmm. I, if, if the organization, right, if, if the Jets organization, the ownership of the Jets looks at it and feels at, the way you just expressed, right, and feels like, hey, he's not managing – even the aspect of trying to keep his guys safe and healthy very well, then yes, I, I think it's incumbent upon them to make a change. So, so yeah, it, I, I, ideally you want the right decision to be made uh, with regard to Sam Darnold's long-term health and the same with every player on the roster. So you hope that, uh, that that's what happens in the air on the side of caution at 0 and 4 uh, and that a coach isn't making decisions to save his job. You know, you're doing the job, you work for the team, you're supposed to be doing what's right for the team, and you hope that that's what, um, what guys have. And in my experience, most of them do uh, have that, that, the correct mentality there. So, I, I mean, I guess even at this point, all the bad things we've said about Adam Gase, I, I, still, I still feel like I have to give him the benefit of the doubt on at least that. I don't think he wishes uh, injury or, uh, or well, poor no. health on any of his players. No. He doesn't wish it, but I have questions about whether, uh, whether it's yeah. worked out to the point where he is actually doing the best things for his players. Not, of course. Yeah, can he spot it yes. in time to prevent it? Yeah, I, I understand. That's my I mean, if, 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 if that's a problem, then, then yeah, I think obviously the Jets would have to that, – that may be a case where you say, hey, we got to get this guy out of here in season because, um, you know – we don't feel like he's even managing the roster right from a health standpoint. But look, we're hypothetical here. If anybody's listening, I'm not saying that's what Adam Gase is about. Sure. I think he's got other issues he's dealing with. So, um, yeah, look, I, I we, we talk about the 0-4 Texans, talk about the 0-4 Giants, talk about the 0-4 Jets. Ideally, for the fans of any of those teams that are listening, we obviously hope on your behalf that they can turn things around, even if we don't necessarily know from this point how. Yes. 
Well, I have two more Jets questions for you, and then we can oh, move boy. on. We can move on and wrap up. I got to talk about the Buffalo Bills or something, <laughs> like anything. You know, the Yankees. The Yankees. Yeah. Anyone, anyone who has a win <laughs> under their name <laughs> in, in 2020. Miami Sure, yeah. Miami, Miami Dolphins, you know, they have a win too. Yeah. I, they do. They do. I, I'm going to ask that you, game. Right. Number one, Adam Gase was not fired after the Broncos game. And I'm not rooting for Adam Gase to get fired. I'm not saying that he should get fired, should not get fired. But let me ask you, in terms of how you think the Jets typically handle their coaches and handle their situations, if Adam Gase was not fired after an 0-4 start, if he was not fired after that messy start last season, do you think he's pretty much going to finish the season as the Jets head coach, regardless of what happens? Or is there some record or some low that the Jets could hit that you think would make ownership say, hey, we need to make a change now, even if it is just to an interim coach for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, stubbornness kind of rules the day sometimes on these things, so you may stick it out to the end. Um, generally, if there's not a coach on staff that got head coaching experience that can save a guy in season but they have greg williams who just did this two years ago so so that's not going to help um yeah look i mean if maybe sometimes teams want to wait till they're mathematically eliminated because obviously you know until you're mathematically eliminated it's incumbent upon you to try and put the best product on the field win the games you know compete for a championship so I'm, i'm speculating but i mean look it's he's he's 20 games into his Jets tenure. It's entirely possible that Christopher Johnson, who's running the team while his brother is off being the ambassador to England, um, just doesn't feel like that's enough time. And if that, if that, if that's how he feels, then, then good. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a legitimate conclusion to jump to. Uh, We may not agree with him, but if that's how he feels, he's having given the guy enough time, then good be fair and and go through your process. But uh, yeah, so I can't say without, question oh there's a certain if they fall to if they fall if they lose their ninth game and they are assured of a losing season you know that, that kind of stuff is hard to, to speculate on because I, I don't know the the mind of christopher and woody johnson on that so I, at this point indications are that they want to stick with him throughout the season but one way to go and and minds can change mm-hmm. that's my last question for you now i brought it up with the giants i have to ask you about the jets as well if the jets have the first overall pick in the 2020 draft. Trevor Lawrence is available. His hair is still looking magnificent. He has played well in his final season of college football. And you would assume, if that happens, Adam Gase is not the head coach. Joe Douglas, I think, is still probably the general manager. I think can't take probably with what he's done so far. So it's Joe Douglas drafting, who has no ties to Sam Darnold. It's a new head coach who is not tied to Sam Darnold. Do you think the Jets would take Trevor Lawrence and move on from Sam Darnold if he plays the way he has over the last season and a quarter with Adam Gates. I do. And it may not be fair to Darnold because you may not have put him in the best position to succeed and put the best possible team around him. But you know, that's life in a big city. And Lawrence is a guy that people are just gaga over. So uh, I do. And, and the, there's a critical one year difference between Darnold and Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. And it is the fact that early May, a week after the draft, the jets have to decide whether to pick up Sam Darnold's fifth-year option for the year 2022. Mm-hmm. And that option, per the new CBA, would be fully guaranteed at the time of execution for, I think, in excess of $25 million. Mm-hmm. So you have to make, a week after the draft, you have to make a significant long-term commitment, relatively long-term commitment to Sam Darnold 
Uh, and if you've decided you don't want to do that, then you obviously would have to, in this hypothetical situation, take the quarterback at the top of the draft that everybody wants. Yeah, there, there'd be no question. And again, might not be fair to Darnold, but yes, I think if they're in that situation uh, and they're not sold on Darnold and it's under new leadership, that you would definitely see them looking that way. Mm-hmm. All right, Dan, you're free. No more discussion of terrible teams. No more winless conversation. Go get some ice cream. Man. Talk about a successful football team. Live your life. I'm going to do it. Get out of the basement. Ice cream podcast. You don't belong there. Do an ice cream podcast. Go for it. I'm going to start one. I'm going to do it all about ice cream. Just like my true passion. Just just your your flavor rankings, uh, your Uh whole rankings, anything you want to do, I will support. Flavors that do and don't mix well together. I mean, I could could totally – I mean, I don't know. I missed the opportunity during, like, we're all hunkered down quarantine. I could have got that thing off the ground. That would have been, been the ideal time. I'm not going to lie. That would have yeah. been the smartest time to pull that off. You know, some people wanted to Where write cleanlier. I, I was sitting here trying to find stuff to talk about, so I would have loved it. Right. Um, I was sitting here eating ice cream. If, I we have, thought of it. if we have a second wave, I promise you, we'll do the ice cream show. <laughs> but until oh, then. I hope we don't. I hope we don't as yeah. well. But until then, where can people check out more of your conversations about the nfl i'm dan graziano espn on twitter and instagram and uh you know i'm on get up twice a week tuesdays and wednesday mornings i'll be in foxborough sunday for a sunday nfl countdown um i'm around i'm all over the place twitter is probably the best place for people to yell at me but you know yell at me too much i'll block you yell at him he'll block you see him at the ice cream store it's dan graziano thanks buddy my pleasure all right, thanks so much as always to my friend and colleague, Dan Graziano. Sorry I had to put him through uh, the ringer of terrible football teams, but we'll have a more optimistic podcast. Maybe we'll talk about some of the better teams in the NFL, most of which I was wrong about, but we'll talk about that maybe next week. So thanks so much for listening, guys. We have more audio coming next week. And as always, hope you guys are staying healthy. Hope you guys are enjoying the football season and more on the way next week.